All right, welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas presented by Dynamic Striking. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by boxing legend Teddy Atlas. Teddy, how you doing? Good, Ken. How are you? You you do a haircut. Come on. Where, where's that Bob? <laughs> yeah. Is sleeping on the job? He's in L.A. We got to get him to make a, sp- a road trip. Oh, come on. Put, throw him on that Learjet <laughs> and get him over there, will you? I know. The struggle is real. Well, yeah, I mean... Those hands must be uh, lined up. They they <laughs> they must be synchronized. This, this is, yep. Come on, don't you know who this is? This is uh, <laughs> this is Ken Rideout. You know. Yeah. It's a sad day over here, Teddy. All the kids are in school, first time in a year and a half. They're all officially gone, even the little one. Yeah. Try not to contain your sadness. Uh, try try to contain. Uh, <laughs> you know. Try try not. <laughs> Try try to control it, will you? Because it's uh, it almost looks bubbly. I've never seen <laughs> I've never seen sadness that um is confused with jubilation. So um, try try <laughs> your mi- best, Ken. It's mixed emotions. I'm super happy to have a quiet house and not have to keep yelling at them to quiet down while we record. But I'm also sad that they're not here anymore. You'll see them. It's over. You'll see them. You'll see them soon. <laughs> Time. Time moves on. They move on to another chapter, another chapter in that um, great journey of life. Yep. You know, learn, yep. learning, 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 learning. We always have to keep learning. Always have to keep. Yep. You just hope the teachers are good. You know, I know the teachers yeah. at home are good. You know, thank God. That's that's where it starts, and people should always remember that. That's where it starts. But um, obviously, and I don't. They don't need me to tell them that. People do know that. But um, sometimes maybe they forget a little bit and uh, they, they put it all on the teachers. But no, the main teachers, the main courses are taught at home. And then, of course, the teachers take it from there. Yep, that's the truth. Well, Teddy, big, busy weekend of fights. No real big marquee fights, so to speak. But um, we do have a candidate for fight of the year, Casamero and Rigandau. I don't <laughs> know if you saw it. <laughs> What a stinker as the, uh, as the adage goes, right? That's the adage for that one, right? That's the old adage. It's that just was, a stinker. That was as bad as you get. I mean, if I could say one good thing, it was Rigandau. He moved so well to get away, but where were the counter punches? He would move away and then move away again. I was like, it's ro-. I, I just there felt was like a few the whole counters. Was Let's be back. fair, Ken. He countered with the left hand. He, he, he caught... Uh, Casamaro with uh, some left hands. He did counter, but he ran too much. And and I don't like to use that word, but he did. I mean, it's one thing to move and to box, you know, and to navigate your way and to, you know, to, to cleverly um, maneuver around the ring, to use your legs that way. That That's one thing. But it's another thing to just jump on a bike and say, see you later. And for a lot of parts, he was doing that. That's not the old Regan Dial. Regan Dial, even when he was young, I did a lot of his fights. First of all, I know Regan Dial real well because I knew him as an 18-year-old when he won his first gold medal uh, in in the Olympics in Sydney. I, I called four Olympics for NBC. So the Sydney 2000 was my first. And that's when he made the scene. Uh, that's when Regan Dial was first seen. He was 18 years old. He won a gold medal. And he was the best amateur I ever saw. And that's quite a statement, Ken, because I've seen a lot of real damn good amateurs, including Lomachenko. I, I covered his two gold medal uh, Olympics, too. And he was great. He was great. But 
I think this guy was the best I've ever seen. He wasted nothing. Even as an amateur, as an amateur, you're supposed to waste punches. You know, I mean, they just, you're supposed to throw punches. And he didn't waste, he still had that temperament as a counterpuncher, as a body puncher, as a great defensive fighter, you know, as being controlled, being patient. And he made it work in the amateurs. That's not easy to do. And he was a tremendous puncher, too, uh, especially with that left hand. So, and then he won the next Olympics. He won a gold medal in Athens in 2004. That was my second Olympics. Um, so, I, I he like I said, he was the best amateur I had ever seen. And uh, when he turned pro, he was on ESPN Friday Night Fights doing the the fights when I was calling all the fights then. And he was he was in I don't know how many of his early fights, but a good amount of them on our air so i was very familiar with him and he was never exciting he was always effective and efficient never excited but he was tremendous he was as good a pure body puncher and pure counter puncher and great defensive fighter in that package in that combination you're ever going to see and with power he really was and like i said he wasted nothing and he was just pure efficiency you know, he was like uh, green energy. <laughs> and he he was never exciting, but if you were an aficionado of the sport, you enjoyed him. You, you know, kind of like if you go to the, to the baseball, uh, you know, stadium and you enjoy really good pitching. You know, if you, if you like the home runs, then obviously you're going to get bored. And if you like home runs... With uh, Rigondale, you, obviously you're gonna, you know, you're in the wrong place. You bought a ticket to the wrong fight. But if you appreciate the finesse of the sport, the sophistication of the sport, the sweet science of the sport, the intricacies of the sport, you appreciated him when he was when he was younger. Um, you know, he's 40 years old now, but you appreciated him that he was able to do those things at the level that he did it. Just like you appreciate a pitcher that can hit the corners, change the speeds, you know, take the bat off of a good hitter's hands, you know, and, and just disarm, disarm the guy, disarm the fighter, disarm the, the hitter, you know, like as though you removed the bat from him. And But now at 40, he fights more to survive than he does really to win. Unless he lands a shot and he knocks you out, okay, he's going to win. But he fights more. His mentality is more to survive. I, I was impressed with his conditioning at 40, his ability to use those legs that long. I was. I, I, was. I mean, it, it was boring the hell out of me, don't get me wrong. But <laughs> I, I was like, wow, this guy, you know, he's quite a physical uh, phenomenon that he can do this at 40 years of age and move this much but I put the blame on some of the blame I put it on the matchmakers and the executives the overpaid executives at Showtime over there I, I do I, I because they're supposed to know I used to complain in the Friday night fights with some of the bums that we had yeah that's right I called you bums I called them bums I called them to their face bums but um uh, at the time uh you know, and we got rid of some of them. Uh, we got rid of some of them. Towards the end, we replaced them with some better. But they were there destroying 
our sport, destroying our brand, destroying ESPN Friday Night Fights because they were putting on matches they knew nothing about the styles of the fighter, what made a good fight, what made a bad fight. They knew nothing. And you have to know because it's about pleasing the fans. It's about putting events on that are going to have action, that are going to be pleasing to the fans, not going to be a cure for insomnia. You know what I mean? And and that's obviously the, the head guys that get paid all that money over at Showtime, they thought that there was people out there that are suffering from insomnia. And so they thought they were helping them. You know, because obviously they know nothing about boxing. They don't. Again, too bad. You know what? Facts are facts. And I know most people aren't going to say it because they're howling for their meals. They want to keep their job. They want to they sit on the fence. They want to they be friends. They want to get along to go along, go along to get along, all that. I, I understand. That ain't my problem. That's your problem. That ain't my problem over here. I, my thing over here is to tell it as it is. And those people either have to know something about that or hire someone who does know that when you when you put Regan Diao into your main event, you're not going to get a good fight. You're not going to get an exciting fight. You weren't going to get it when it was in his prime. You're definitely not getting it at 40. You're not. It's a fact. I mean, that's another place I won't be working anytime soon over at Showtime, <laughs> obviously. You know, the good part about that there's always a silver lining to every dark cloud if you will um my agent's phone bill will be kept low it, it, <laughs> it will be he won't be having a field all those calls you know from all those executives <laughs> over there saying can we get teddy over here to call fights no no we we won't have to do that but you know what i'm calling it for you guys for the fans and um as long as you guys continue to want the truth and want me to do that, you know what? I'm your guy. I'll do it. I'll do it. And, um, and I'll do it in the hope that also people learn something because it hurts the sport when you're putting on fights that are chasing fans instead of embracing fans, instead of calling for fans, instead of bringing fans. So I do it all for a reason, for those a part of those reasons. I did it at ESPN uh, for you. Yeah, and listen, that's why I'm not calling fights now. If there's anyone out there that hasn't figured it out by now, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's why I'm not there calling fights anymore at ringside because uh, somebody complained about me saying that, uh, calling it as it is, and complained about me uh, using a word that we're going to talk about a little later in the program here. So you guys, uh, <laughs> keep your seatbelts buckled, guys, you know, because there's more bumpy roads ahead, you know. Uh, for me, it's smooth, but it's a little bumpy. It's a little bumpy for some people. They they hit their head, you know. Well, oh, that was a bump. Teddy just dro drove us into a little bit of a of a wall there. Uh, that, I didn't like that. That, that didn't feel good. But... Um, yeah, I used the word corruption. And we'll talk about that a little later in the program, right, Ken? Um, That's you know, right. We'll talk about that. But I, and, and, that, and again, uh, somebody over there at ESPN uh, told somebody over there at ESPN, you know, their guy told their guy that, uh, you know what, I, I don't want Teddy there no more. So I'm not 
doing the fights anymore because that that word was uncomfortable. Why was it uncomfortable though? Why? Why would something be uncomfortable if it wasn't truth? Oh, I think I understand why. Because it was truth. Oh, and you didn't want the truth coming out. Oh, I wonder why. Oh, but I digress. Uh, the fight was boring. But you know what? I give the devil his due. I, Rigidy, I'll just, he was honest. He was honest. When they interviewed him afterwards he, with Jim Gray, he, he was honest. He just said, hey, this is what I do. This is what I do. This is how I do it. Now, what he didn't tell you was when he was younger, he didn't do it. Like I said, he didn't get on a bicycle. He, he sat down more. He did it more and funnier. Where it still wasn't thrilling, but it was very interesting and very efficient. Where he'd make you miss and bang you. He'd move a little bit. He'd move around a little bit. He didn't run all over the ring, you know, like he had track shoes on. You know, like he was doing the, uh, you know, that he was competing against uh, Bolt from Jamaica. You know what I mean? He, he didn't do that. Having, having said all that about how good he was when he was younger, when he was still undefeated, how surprised were you when um, Lomachenko just completely broke him down, mismantled, dismantled No, I wasn't surprised at all. And listen, if I was, I would say, yeah, because, you know, again, we're, we're going to tell the truth over here, and I'm not always right. That one, I, I said he was going to knock out, um, he was going to knock out Rigondeaux. He was too big, and he was too young. Uh, Lomachenko... You know, uh, that was, for me, that was the main part. Lomachenko was too big. I mean, he just fought the other night at 118. Against Lomachenko, he fought at 135 or 130. Correct me if I'm wrong. It was either junior lightweight or lightweight. Uh, you'll figure it out in a minute for me. I appreciate that. But either way, he was way up in weight. Uh, so he definitely was uh, he was out of his weight. And like I said, Lomachenko was, was damn good. But he was also younger and, and bigger. and uh, Super feather. Yes. Well, 130. One, uh, 130, junior light. I call it junior light. But they call it super feather. You yeah. know why they call it super feather? They want everything to look better. Like super. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. When, you say, when you say what I say, junior light. Oh, junior light. Oh, no, that's not a sense. Do you remember when we had um, J-Rock Williams on with Stephen um, uh, Breadman, his, uh, his trainer? That we, I asked him, do you prefer junior middleweight or super welter? And the trainer immediately said, super welter. Yeah, super welter. Where's, where's super welter? Yeah, he's being honest. And of course, yeah. uh, of course the promoters and all the PR people and obviously the uh, alphabet organizations, they, they want to put that forward as super, as there's something special attached to it and uh, no, no negative connotations uh, as though junior might be negative. Um, I don't think it's negative. I'm a junior. I'm, I'm, I don't think it's. I'm Teddy Atlas Jr. I'm, I'm Theodore A. Atlas Jr. So I sure as hell don't mind calling something junior. Okay, and my son is Teddy Atlas the third, and my grandson is Teddy Atlas the fourth, <laughs> and God willing, there'll be more to follow, um, and they probably won't get jobs at Showtime either. But it's okay. <laughs> I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's a guarantee. Yes, it is. That doesn't make you the amazing Kretzkin over there, Ken. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're right. But again, to 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 finish up the analysis of this fight. Yeah, he the people that 
put him in there that hired him for the night. He got hired for the night, right? The, the executives hired him for the night. The promoters, the executives, they, they're supposed to know what they're getting and what it's going to mean to their audience. So, you know, they're, they're idiots. They, they deserve some of the blame. Some of the fans out there, you should, you should write something to, uh, to them and say, hey, quit giving us these kind of fights. You know, really. We're not going to stay with you if you give us these kind of fights. You know, we're not. I remember one time on ESPN, they didn't like it too much, but <laughs> on the opening, I came on the opening saying, listen, i got to apologize right now for the fights we're putting on. Oh, you had to hear that truck. <laughs> <laughs> I can just imagine. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. What was that, what was that old saying that one of the old timers on the street used to say, Teddy, you could have heard of mouse pee on cotton. <laughs> that was a good saying. That was that was kind of cool. Um, but you know, I was telling the truth, and you know what my rationale was? It wasn't to chase fans. Obviously, if we don't have fans, I'm not going to have a job. I'm not going to get paid. It wasn't to. It was to tell the fans to respect them, and to tell the people that were in charge to respect the fans. I was sending a, a shot across the bow. Respect the fans. Respect the sport. Respect the brand. And, and stop doing this garbage. And for the reason you're doing it, to make friends with promoters. That's why they were doing it, to, to favor certain promoters and, and take care of them. And I, So it was my way of trying to correct the problem. And it was also my way of being honest, as I always am, with the fans. To let the fans know, I'm going to tell you the truth, even if it hurts me. I'm going to tell you the truth. And I'm going to hope you don't run away. If you run away, okay. But I'm going to hope that in return for me telling you the truth, you're going to stay with me. And you're going to say, you know what? We're going to stay with the guy because he tells us the truth. And then when he tells us it's a damn good fight, which I often told him, we're going to believe him. We're going to believe him. So we'll take the good with the bad because of that. That was my rationale. That was my way of thinking. It wasn't kamikaze. It wasn't to crash the plane into the, you know, into the ground just to, just to die. No. I was doing it to live. To live better. To live the right way. That's what I was doing it for. So that other people could get the benefits of the risk I was taking, little bit of risk I was taking in that, that again, it might invoke change that's why i was doing it and that's why i hope the fans keep coming here really i love you i hope you keep coming if it means something to you and and you keep coming and give us give us uh i'm happy with what you give us now i am i'm blessed thank you but give us a million followers <laughs> give us a million subscribers <laughs> Not, give us a million subscribers like some of these other guys um have give, give us I, we're building towards it we're building towards it. We're at close to 200,000. We're building. We, we have 30, I love to say this one, we have 33 million downloads. We have 33 million downloads. I, I don't really know what a download is, but we got 33 <laughs> million of them. <laughs> it sounds pretty darn good. It sounds pretty darn good. So yep. getting back, Ken, uh, listen, I thought... Now, this might drive a few people crazy, but I'm, again, I'm going to stay consistent with what I believe and say it, not about what people want to hear. I, 
I thought as bad as it was, as much of a snooze fest as it was, I also blame Casimero. See, there's a lot of blame to put out there, and I'm putting it out there. I'm putting it, where, I'm putting it out there, baby. Casimero and his people. You know, we did a nice interview with, I think, pound for pound, number one right now, with Crawford uh, last week. And, and you guys have been enjoying it, and you've been watching it, and the numbers have been real good, and you could continue watching it. Obviously, it's still up there. It was a really good interview. It was very insightful with, um, with Terrence Bud Crawford. And one of the things that I complimented him on was that he was always, him and his people, his team, his trainers, they were always prepared for the opponent. Now, I know that sounds like a automatic thing, but it's not always automatic. I, I told him, I said, I've seen too many over the years calling ESPN fights, too many times where I would see a fighter show up in the ring completely unprepared for the guy he was about to face. Like, no idea that, oh my God, this is the guy's style? Like, like, he, like he wasn't ready for it. Like, he didn't know it was coming. It's, 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 it's completely irresponsible, and there's, it's inexcusable inexcusable you show up for your work no matter what that work is and you're not prepared are you kidding me i mean it'd be like being a being a lawyer and you show up in court and you're not prepared for the case that you're about to represent are you kidding me you know you you, you turn you turn to your client and say oh gee uh you hit somebody <laughs> yeah imagine <laughs> you you hit somebody oh you hit three people Oh, 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 and you were God. drinking oh, and you were drinking oh my goodness oh my goodness uh, and and you were as you and you were texting as you were driving and you were looking at the podcast of ken and teddy oh, oh, oh really you're going to jail you're going to jail you're going to jail i don't like those two guys you're going in the can right now okay so i mean it it, it can't happen it's not supposed to happen. So I told Terrence during that interview that really I'm impressed. Every time you fight a difficult style, you, you are ready for exactly what you should be ready to handle that style, you know, to, to solve that puzzle, that problem. And Casimero showed up as though he had no idea what he was going to face. Like he had no, like, his people didn't prepare him. Like he fought, like he had no idea. He was headhunting. He wasn't cutting a ring down. Like he had no idea this is the way the guy fights. Like he, <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, I know. At least following him around the ring. He's chucking punches at his head where he can't hit him. He's not going to the body. I mean, if a guy moves, you cut the ring down, right? You use the jab to the chest, you stabilize him, you control him a little bit, and you go to the body, you put water in the basement, as I would say when I was calling the fights. And you take, his, you take the air out of his wheels. You know a guy's going to use his wheels, you go to the body, you take the air out of the wheels. Uh, he was, everything was being chucked to the head, missing all over the place, falling to the side, going into the ropes. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. I was like... You had no idea. You came here really prepared and unprepared for what you were going to face. So that, so that's one of the places I really, I thought it was outrageous. And so that's one of the places I point blame. Of course, I already talked about the TV people that they put that style in there for the fans. And they don't know what it's going to produce. 
that's going to produce a snooze fest, you know? Um, and I, I just, but having said all that, Ken, I thought there were rounds where, because the other guy, because Casimero, the champion, was so unprepared, so out of sorts, out of sync, out of rhythm, that Rigatio had rounds where he did counter with a left hand. He did make a miss. He did catch him here and there, even though he only threw like four and a half punches all night. But, you know, and I thought that, that you could make an argument that Rigatio won. I know that's going to drive a lot of people crazy, but I'm looking at it with, with, with the way I look at it, really deep. I'm not just looking at it where I, I wish this fight wasn't happening, where I can't believe they put this on. I, I'd, rather, I'd rather watch like uh, the movie Heidi. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I, was, I, was, I was like, you know, and I, I'm looking at it in a very careful precise way and which is um that's how i'm brought up that's that's the world i live in and i thought there were enough rounds where he could have eked out a draw maybe even been tiny bit ahead but definitely i didn't think he won it was a split decision he won on one judge's card so i'm not arguing with that judge but 116 112 117 111 the other two judges that went to casimero i thought they were wrong Again, I don't mind them giving it to Casimero, but I thought it was closer. It was terrible. It was a stinker, but it was closer because of what I just said, because of what Casimero didn't do, more than because of what Rigondeaux did. Um, and I'll tell you, I, I thought that, I just thought that with, with that, with it being closer, as I saying something that a lot of people probably going to look at in an unfavorable way, at the end of the day, I would say I understand not giving it to Rigondeaux because he didn't earn it, he didn't deserve it. I, I, I that's why I hesitate. I want to. I hope people understand that. But I, I'll say it again because I believe in what I'm saying. Because he lost, he kind of lost the right to complain about a decision. You know, not that he won it, but it was close enough where he can't, he can't be that guy complaining because by behaving the way he did, fighting more to survive than to win for most of the night, he didn't really earn the right to have his hand raised. So in that way, I understand Casimero getting the fight. If, and I understand the mentality and thinking if a judge gave it to him that way. I do. If a judge said, you know what? I, I'm trying to judge it in a, in a proper way, in a professional way, in an unbiased way, um, purely by the amount of punches landed and not landed. But I can't... It's close enough where... I'm gonna. I can't give it to a guy who, who performed this way. Didn't really try to win. I I didn't sit down really, more than thirty seconds in a fight. I and try to win. I can't give it to him. So that's my that's my whole analysis 
uh, and my very thorough, really, breakdown of all dimensions of what took place that night. Um, and, and I had one other thing, just to make sure the executives don't have a change of heart and try to hire me. That <laughs> on top of that, they, who do they put on the undercard? They put, a, they, put, they put Gary Russell. Now, Gary Russell was an Olympian. Gary Russell had a lot of amateur fights. Gary Russell lost the title, um, fought for a title fight against Lomachenko years ago. And Lomachenko beat him, you know, handily. But Gary Russell's a really good boxer. He is. He's a really good technical boxer. Good hand speed, good legs, good instincts. But he's a safety first boxer. He's a guy that has the temperament we're talking about. About, you know, the sweet science, about being real smart. Nothing wrong with it. But he doesn't make exciting fights. He wins. He's efficient. But he doesn't make exciting fights. So what do the people at Showtime, that guy, what's his name, Espinosa, whoever that guy is that's over there getting paid all that money, the head guy, and, and whoever else is, is making these decisions, who do they... I think Espinosa's really good friends with uh, Conor McGregor. So what do they do? I think Conor McGregor's nickname for him was the Weasel or something. Oh, well, see that? <laughs> see that? The, and the Weasel, okay, I got you. I got you. That that says a lot. That that says a lot. When you call somebody a weasel, that says a lot. That says it all. Keep in mind that was right to his face on stage at a press conference. I think if someone calls you a weasel at a press conference, you're fighting. Yeah. I think you just have to fight, even if you're going to get a beating. Yeah. You're just like, you know I what? Agree. You call me a weasel, even now you have to beat that's me up. A, that's the bottom of the barrel. I agree with you, Ken. I mean, like I said, there's no need for me to. Uh, to try to explain um, the kind of person that Espinosa is um, or, or that some people think he is, put it that way, that doesn't mean he is that, but other than to just say he's a weasel. A weasel? Ugh. All right. So now, what does he do? To make sure that nobody that night will be awake, right? Because a couple people <laughs> might, you know, still, I was awake. I drank two cappuccinos, right? So I, I stayed awake. But to make sure that the non-coffee drinkers, you know, were also going to be, or the coffee drinkers, I'm sorry, to make sure that the people that drink coffee or take a Red Bull or, you know, whatever, whatever they do to stay awake, that they're going to somehow be put to sleep. He puts Gary Russell on the undercard. Uh, one of, a, another put you to sleep. For, and again, I'm not knocking Gary Russell. I'm making a point here. Gary Russell's a terrific fighter. He's a, he's a high-class fighter. He is, but he's not an exciting fighter. So you put on Rigan Diaw and Gary Russell? Oh, my goodness. I mean, you put them both on the same night? Well, like I said, that's, I mean, that's, that's a daily double. And that's a daily double to, <laughs> to make, you know, really, they... they if they don't have advertising with Samanex, they should get it. They they should go right out there. Really, I mean, Espinosa, do one thing right. Listen to Teddy, okay? And go out there and call, make a phone call to Samanex right now and say, listen, we'd like to we'd like to get some uh we'd like to have you advertise our fights. We think we're exactly what you're looking for. Yeah, we we think we're exactly we represent exactly 
what you're looking for and your clientele, the, the, the people that, that buy your product. We're, we're your guy. We're your guy. Really. Uh, we'd like you to come on board. I think it'll work. <laughs> I think it'll work. I think it's worth a shot. And um, so what do they do? They put Gary Russell on. And listen, that turned out to be, I, I, I'm saying this straight-faced, and I, I never want to see anybody injured, anybody cut, ever. But the, the people were saved because there was an accidental head clash in the first round that stopped that fight. I mean, you know, I, I mean, otherwise, you know, it was more, more... <laughs> You know, it was going to be more of that. But, but they was, you know, they were saved from it um, because of that. Uh, it, the fight didn't go on. But that's my, that's my take on, on a great Showtime show. One of the things you mentioned during that um, rant was uh, about with regards to baseball and a no-hitter. And I just want to take a minute to give a shout-out and see if you happen to see this kid, Tyler Gilbert, for the um, Diamondbacks, made his professional base professional pitching debut his first start ever and throws a no-hitter that's the way to come out that's the way to start your career right ken i mean the wow best part about it during covid he was like down on his luck bouncing around the minors doing electrical work with his dad his dad was in the stands going crazy was the what highlight of the show awesome story congratulations story. tyler gilbert story. awesome that is a great story that's why you never give up you never give up yep. on your dreams. Never give up. Against San Diego Padres, too, who are rolling and strong. So congratulations, Tyler Gilbert. Let's get to the uh, the zone card. On the undercard of the uh, Mean Machine was in action against um, Virgil Ortiz, who's single-handedly saving Golden Boy, in my opinion. But on the undercard, we had the um, Alvarado twins, Renee and Felix. Uh, Felix gets the um, TKO stoppage, a 250 of the first round against Vasquez. What'd you think on that one? Yeah, now, as you said, this is on the zone. Yeah. And the only reason I wanted to touch on the undercard, because we could have went right to the main event, but first of all, I want to cover as much as we can for the fight fans out there. So on the undercard, you had Felix Alvarado, world champion. He's 37-2 and two, uh, with 32 knockouts. That's pretty good. He's a world champion. And you had him fight a last-minute replacement. Um, I think it was a last-minute replacement. Um, I believe it was. But either way, you had him fight Israel Vasquez. Now, Vasquez is 34 years old, and he's 10-5-2. And, and he's lost five of his last six fights. And out of those losses, the only one that he won... Out of those fights, the only one that he did win was to a 9-22 and 22 fighter. All right, so the point I'm making is he doesn't belong in a freaking ring. And this is what bothers me. This is where you get injuries and, God forbid, fatalities, where you have mismatched people. And I've talked about this on other podcasts not that long ago, Ken, where what do we have commissions for? Why do we have commissions that quite often are paid their salaries by us, the taxpayers? Why do we have commissions if they can't commission properly? If you can't know enough to say, hey, 
Israel Vasquez, 34 years old, 10-5-2, lost five of his last six. The only guy he beat was 9-22. Um, shouldn't be fighting Felix Alvarado, world champion, 37-2 with 32 knockouts. Shouldn't be happening. Should- unless, BoxRec, unless BoxRec has it wrong, he lost to the 9-22 fight, Miguel Del Valle, and he, and he beat 0-9-2 Luis Diaz. According to Boxer. No, no, you're right. He did, Even you're, worse. You're 100% right. His, one of his wins was to a guy, a guy with no that wins. hasn't won. So, listen, the people are getting the point out there that we're making. I mean, how does this guy get in a ring with somebody as good as Felix Alvarado? And what happens? Well, do I have to tell you the rest? You don't, like I said to you before, you don't have to be the Mason Kreskin to know what's coming. He got knocked out in one round. He got knocked out in one round. I mean, again, this is where we get this is where we get problems. This is where we get injuries. This is where we get people hurt. It's a tough enough sport. It's inherently dangerous. But you don't need to be putting guys in to fights with top fighters when they don't belong in there. You don't need to do that. We gotta be better. And this is what I screamed about all those years on ESPN. Another reason why I'm not calling fights. But I was trying to protect the fighters, help the sport. And, you know, the great, my friend, the great late Bert Sugar used to say, Teddy, boxing keeps giving themselves so many black eyes, they are now the Cyclops. And, and he, that line with Bert Sugar, the late great Bert Sugar, he, he, was, he was right on the money, right on the money. I mean, like, boxing just keeps shooting itself in the foot. I mean, really, you put great fights on, the great fans, you guys will be there because you love the sport, as I love the sport. But we don't love this part of it. We don't love when administrators, when executives screw it up and administrators screw it up and when the alphabet organizations corrupt it and and when the commissions don't behave like commissions. We don't love that part of it. We don't, because that part ruins the sport, endangers the sport, cripples the sport, hurts the fighters, so, and hurts you guys too. So I, I just had to say that. That's why I brought that up. And um, then his brother, his brother fought. Roger Gutierrez. Yeah, he fought uh, Gutierrez. I believe it was a trilogy. Um, so... Let me give my breakdown of that fight because it was a cold feature. It did, uh, it did go, what, 12 rounds? And um, first of all, I want to give credit. I want to give credit because I knocked the crap out of people when I think they should be knocked the crap out of. And I, I will hold them high and give them all the credit and kudos they deserve when they do something deserving. And so I want to give credit to one of the commentators, Chris Mannix, uh, for having the guts and honesty. A lot of these guys don't. They really don't. But he had the guts and honesty. Maybe he doesn't want to work anymore like me. Maybe he wants to join the <laughs> unemployment line. And um, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe, but whatever. Or maybe he just feels the way I do. That you, Sometimes you have to say something. But Chris Mannix... He had the guts to say what I used to be the only one. I felt very lonely. I really did. 
Like I was the only one out there saying it. That these alphabet organizations are just a corrupt joke. And they're bloodsuckers. That's the word he used, um, Ken. That they're bloodsuckers taking money from the fighters in the form of sanctioning fees. Destroying the sport by diluting and diminishing the value of these titles. And um, he pointed out that he came right out and said that the WBA has 47. You ready, Ken? I'll say it again. 47 title belts alone. The WBA. 47. I mean, if your pants are falling down, call the WBA. Call them up. <laughs> <laughs> call them up. Ask Rob. If Rob's pants are falling down, if your kids, when they come home from school, if their pants are falling call the WBA. Uh, they'll make sure that, that your pants aren't falling down. They'll give you a belt. And then they'll create... price. I mean, 47 title belts. I mean, wow. And I, I used to simply take their call letters and make them into what I thought was more was was more fitting. The WBA, I called them We Be Asking. The WBC, I called We Be Collecting. The IBF, I called I Be Felonious. So, you know, listen, at the end of the day, uh, Gutierrez retained his belt. I was not impressed I, I i just didn't think he was impressive um i thought the fight was closer than the judges had it i didn't score it but i felt that alvarado could have could have even been ahead or or even or or even like where it could have been a draw or, or say a point behind i mean I, i'm happy with any of it you know he could be a point ahead a point behind, it could have been a draw, but the judges had it unanimous 116-112, 116-112, and 115-113. I can live with 115-113, I, I guess, right? I have to. I said it was, I, I thought it was close, but um, I could have saw a draw. Um, or like I said, Alvarado could have been up a point, but not the worst scoring I've seen, unfortunately. I've seen much worse. Uh, much, much worse. But for me, Alvarado was more aggressive. He was busier. Uh, Gutierrez uh, stayed on the outside with his jab, looking for the right-hand spots. But he just wasn't busy. I mean, I, I didn't think he did an, enough. And I thought he stood too straight up. And he pulled back too often straight, way too often, where he left himself available by doing that. I just didn't think it was an impressive performance for him. Uh, that's that's pretty much the whole breakdown of the undercard. And now you take us to the main event, baby. Yeah, like I said earlier, um, Golden Boy Savior, it looks like Virgil Ortiz um, with an awesome performance against the Mean Machine. Um, knocked him down multiple times. Just looked big and strong. Came back, had to dig deep. I think in the second or third round, he got rocked. He uh, was on wobbly legs, gained his composure, fought through it. I love I loved this kid. He was an exciting fighter. Went and got him when he had to. Um, fought back and dug deep when he had to. What'd you think? You know, I, I follow in your footsteps there, Ken. Uh, I, I, you know, obviously I'll put my stamp on it, but I follow in, in the things that you just uh, laid out there. 
Uh, he's now 18 and 0 with 18 knockouts. He's 23 years old. He looks even younger. He looks like he's 17. You know, I mean, he he looks even younger. He looks like a great kid. From all reports on him, he's he is a terrific kid. Uh, what I got, what I took away from me, um, he got tested as you touched on. He got shaken up. He got tested. He had to, quite often, I refer to a lot of these fighters being brought up and being, you know, served, uh, served, uh, you know, served from the favorable side of the menu, if you will. Uh, they're, they're being served very digestible meals, uh, very easy to eat meals uh, as opponents. And, and then, of course, they start getting to the they start getting to the uh, more serious side of the menu, <laughs> where the you know where you have to chew your food a little bit more, and we saw that he had to chew his food a little bit more. He he wasn't eating from that side of the menu the other night, and he got he got as you said he got tested a little bit, and you always want to see the fighters get tested because you already think you know what's on the outside, but you don't know yet what's on the inside. And there's only one way to find out when they get tested in those kind of ways. And as I also would use an analogy, I would often say, you know, it's kind of like Macy's Christmas window. You know, you you see the Christmas window and you look in it and it's got all the good stuff in the window. And you say, wow, wow, wow. Look at that. That's tremendous. I, I it's, it's enticing. It, it makes you want to go in the store. And then you go in the store and they tell you, oh, no, we don't have that. <laughs> you know, sometimes you go in there and they say, oh, no, we don't have it in inventory. It's not in the warehouse. Well, that's how I look at these prospects. I want to see. I already saw what's in the window. I want to see what's in the warehouse. Yeah, same thing with football players. You know, my buddy out there, Al Washington, the linebacker coach for the great Ohio State Buckeyes, great coach. He's going to be a head coach uh, before you know it. He's he's tremendous. He's tremendous. He understands it. He gets it on all levels, all dimensions of it. Um, but, I, you know, you, you, again, you, you want to know, you want to know what, you know, whether it's football, baseball, basketball, whether it's wrestling, boxing, whether it's a lawyer, whether it's a doctor, whether it's a teacher going in a courtroom, a teacher going in the classroom, and the classroom has a bunch of kids that don't like to listen. Whatever it is, you find out whether or not they're really a teacher. When, when the kids ain't listening, when they're throwing junk around the room, can the teacher pull it together? Can the teacher be a teacher? Can a teacher behave like a teacher? We already know they have a certificate because they put it up on a wall. We already know that they got good marks because they got through college. But can they be a teacher? You know, like I said, like in football with the coaches, that's what the coaches want to find out. That these kids that they get that can run that that 40 in, in a 3-3 three, three or 3 and change, which is just it's just unbelievable and they can pick up all that weight in the weight room but can they behave like a football player when the moment comes to behave like a football player that's why i brought up my buddy al washington over there ohio state so it's the same thing and you want to see what's in the 
You want to see what's in the warehouse. And we got a chance to see that with Vic, Virgil Ortiz, that he got stung, he got hurt a little bit, he, you know, and there was, there was something in the warehouse. He had something in inventory, you know, and that's something for me, well, a chin, uh, a fighter's heart, a fighter's mentality, a fighter's will, no panic, stayed calm beyond his 23 years, kept it together, didn't, didn't panic, he had the temperament. He had the he had the goods. He had the goods, and instincts, instincts. Where he knew it was time to go to the body, try something different. He went to the body, changed the whole fight. Instincts. He knew to go downstairs, and he showed himself to be a great finisher. Showed himself. Oh wow, he really did. He showed himself to really know what to do with a guy when he's got a guy hurt. Like Customato said to me, all the Teddy, make sure the guy knows how to get the guy out of there without risking himself, but get him out of there. And he got him out of there. He knew how to get him out of there. What I'm describing right now to Virgil Ortiz, for all the fans of his out there, for him, for his people, is they're doing a great job. Because he's becoming more than just a puncher. He's becoming more than just, you know, that that sensational young guys. We see a lot of them come along and we see a lot of them go along. You know, they don't stay when they get to that point of finding out what's in the inventory, what's in the warehouse. And this kid ain't disappearing because he is developing into a well-rounded fighter. Not a punch only, a well-rounded fighter, a dimensional fighter, what you're supposed to develop into in this business. He's learning. He's showing it. I was very impressed. I was really impressed. I'm impressed with his character, the way he handles himself, the way he presents himself, and the way he does his business in that squared circle. And the way he answered the bell when he was tested. Again, the best compliment I can give, and I don't give them out too easily. You know that, Ken. The fans know that too. I give them when I think it's, when I think I've found out that it's time to give it. I wait. I wait. And I think it's time to say, yeah, he's becoming. He's not completely there, but he's becoming a complete fighter. So I'll finish you with this. I said all these platitudes about him. Stay away from Crawford. I know that they're throwing that name around and he's calling him out and he's behaving the way you want a kid to behave. He's not, you know, saying, yeah, give, give me the best. Give me the best. Stay away from Crawford. I just think that Crawford is right now in one of those different categories, in one of those different places. He's one of those special. I don't think people know how special Crawford is. I, re I really mean that. I don't think people know he's got that little X factor, that, 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 that gene, if you will, that makes guys special. I don't, I don't, he's going to get a chance, hopefully, to show that and get the fights to show that. But I don't think that everyone realizes that he, Crawford is, how special he is and, and um, that he'll only rise higher when the moment is higher to rise to. He's that kind of guy. So I would just say, no knock on Virgil. I just, I, I just gave him as great as a build-up as you could give a fighter. But you're 23 years old. You know, go after the winner of Pacquiao and, 
and Ugas, you know, or somewhere else, go somewhere else. But I wouldn't go for Crawford. And listen, I know when I say go somewhere else, Teddy, it's easier said than done because of the politics of this sport. You can't just go somewhere else because you're not allowed to just go somewhere else because there's there's borders, there's there's signs up, there, there's fences up, there's blockades up that stop you. It, it's, it's all about what network you're with, what promoter you're with, you know, who's controlling your career and where you can go. I get it. I understand that. That's unfortunate. I've talked about that before, about that problem in the sport. And so I'm not going to talk about it anymore right here. Uh, I think you guys have heard me before. You guys understand that problem. But the point I'm making is find another place to go other than Crawford uh, for, that, for that belt and a belt that will probably be the first of many because there's a lot of belts out there. <laughs> Speaking of the belts, one of the uh, inconsequential belts at WBA um, welterweight title. I don't even know what the regular, super, intercontinental, whatever they're calling it, um, but was up for grabs two weeks ago. We didn't get a chance to talk about, but I want to revisit just because the outcry on uh, social media, justifiably so, has been so loud. And that was the professor, Michael Fox, against Gabe Mas- M- Mastre out of Venezuela, 3-0, and a decorated amateur career. I think he made it to the semifinals in two different Olympics or the quarterfinals, one or the other, but decorated amateur career, 3-0 and as a pro. Michael Fox gets a last-minute, is a last-minute replacement in this fight. Clearly, the matchmaker didn't do his job because you know they were bringing in Michael Fox thinking he was going to be a, um, a decent name opponent for this kid. Food. And, uh, <laughs> and for, for my... Meal. <laughs> right? for, like, a, I get right to the point. Food. Food. Second, know, yep, food second for or line. third round. Michael Fox drops him as first time in his career. Maestre goes down. And, um, I mean, the scorecards were so one-sided. I thought Fox won the fight. I'm dying to hear what you thought. But one judge had it, um, 17-11. I I can't even remember a name, female out of Miami. But as it turns out, she's married to uh, an executive or someone affiliated with the WBA. The WBA, because they put an interim title belt on the line in Minnesota, they were able to insist on the judges that they wanted. Normally, that would fall to the Minnesota Athletic Commission. But the WBA got to bring in the judges they wanted, and they delivered exactly what they were told to deliver, a decision for Maestre, minus uh, minus, uh, getting knocked out. There was no way Fox wins the fight. So while Michael Fox has been robbed and sent to the back of the line, the least we could do is put him on the uh, yeah. wall of fame here and get him up on the, in the Fox. background. Good for you. So congratulations, Michael Fox. Teddy, tell me what you thought of the fight first, and then we'll get to the WBA. Yeah, just to listen, just to color in a little bit more of your point, you did a hell of a job with it. Um, Mastre is, you know, for no confusion, he's a WBA fighter. He's the, he's the interim champion. And... Um, uh, WBA it is, right? Because I get confused with all these uh, letters. Yes. WBA. We be asking. I, that's how I call it. We be as We be collected with IP felonious. All right. So it's the We be asking group. <laughs> it's, the, it's, the, it's that group. It's that. Okay. Can I, I just want to make sure Gloria Martinez Rizzo gets her just due. She's the, she's the judge that's been suspended. For those who didn't see the fight, Michael um, Fox is a black kid or at least half black. And um, 
he she has been suspended not for her crap scorecard but because it's come to light that she's made racist comments on twitter i i how stupid do you have to be to make racist comments on twitter it's bad enough to make racist comments in your life but to put it on twitter hi let me make sure you're racist that's it can i answer that for you you're a racist (laughs) that's how easy it is you're 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 committed to being a racist yeah yep (laughs) <laughs> it's about that it's simple, disgusting. Ken. It's about that simple. You're not hiding nothing. All right. Listen. Yep. Um, <laughs> look. It's terrible. Uh, all right. So we've made the point that Mastre is a WBA fighter, so their interest is in him. From what I also understand, the one thing that you left out, I believe there was a, if I read this right, Ken, correct me if I'm wrong, but there was actually a W. I, I don't mean to laugh. But there was actually a WBA official sitting in the corner of Maestre yes. during a fight. I mean that that's correct. That's uh, that's not kosher. No, nope. <laughs> I mean that's not kosher. Uh, that's not supposed to be uh, a little problem there. All right. So so I just wanted to throw that in there. Um, listen, terrible decision. My my. The the man who does a great job, who uh, does the blow-by-blow commentary for them, Brian Kenny, good friend of mine. We started together at ESPN. Uh, he's like a brother. He uh, he called me up. He called me up the other day, and uh, he's headed out to Vegas now. I guess he's out there now uh, for the Ugas. Uh, he's going to be calling that for Fox, I guess, right? Yeah, for Fox, the Ugas uh, Pacquiao fight. So... Anyway, he told me that it was, I believe he said it's the worst he's ever seen. But uh, I, I joke with him. I say, you don't get out on uh, a lot, do you, Brian? <laughs> you know, <laughs> if that's the worst that you've ever seen. You know, it was bad, but uh, you got to get out more. You got to get out a little more often. Because <laughs> in my years in this sport, which of course is more years than Brian's been in the sport, you know, from the different places I've been, from the trainer's point, the fighter's point, you know, and the commentary point, uh, I've seen worse. I've seen a lot worse in 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 my years where I just went crazy on the air and tried to do everything I could uh, to try to bring attention to the atrocities that I was seeing. You know, when it came to just tearing the ripping the hearts out of these kids' chest uh, when they earned the thing that they dream of earning when they're little kids, a world title, and that they might never get a chance to have again, never get a chance to fight for again. Um, You know, I think a rematch is going to be ordered because of the publicity, the bad publicity that's been brought to this, the attention that's been brought. They're going to probably do what they do and act like, oh, yeah, you know, we care. So now they're forced to act like they care, and they're going to order a rematch probably uh, because of that. But it doesn't mean that it all come together for him the way it did that night. Sometimes things just, you're ready. You're just ready to win the world title. And you might never be in that frame of physical frame or mental, emotional frame again. You might not. And it gets taken away. Just like the Olympics. When I went crazy and my partner Bob Papa went crazy trying to defend these kids and do the best we could. Uh, when we saw, again, these kids just in the Olympics over the years laying on the floor crying, just laying on the floor 
you know, just in tears because their dream of an Olympics had been had been taken away uh, by by corrupt officials, and so I, I, I it was bad. Is it the worst I've ever seen? No, because there were there were moments where Mastre, I'd say for the first six. I'd say first six, seven rounds where he was the aggressor. That's his style. He was the aggressor and he was landing some body shots and he was able to get forward in spots. Now, take nothing away from Fox. Fox was, as I often say, when breaking a fight down, Fox was owning the geography he needed to own. First of all, he's six foot four, six, three and a half, whatever he is. He's extremely unusually tall for a welterweight. And so he needed to be on the outside. He's got a skinny body. He needed to be on the outside. He was. For the most part, he knew exactly what he needed to do. He was using his legs. He was boxing. He was owning that geography, trying to make Maestre pay a price to get forward, you know, make him earn his way in. You know, charge him for that real estate. You know, instead of charging dollars, as I would say when I was calling a fight, yeah, you charge him. You charge him punches. You charge him in punches. You know, two, three punches is the fee, the toll to get close to me. And he was fighting with that mentality, with that physicality. Uh, and again, there were rounds where. Mastre was able to get close, where he was able to go to the body, uh, also to make the decision even more insulting. Fox dropped Mastre in the second round. Beautiful, beautiful left hand caught him coming in. Uh, Fox is a southpaw. His power punches the backhand, the left hand caught him a beautiful left hand, clean right on the button, dropped him. So that's a ten-eight round. I'd like to see the scorecards. I would love to see the scorecards, really, because you need forensics almost when you're going after these crooks uh, to really get inside their minds, their criminal minds of why they're doing this and how they're doing it. Like if I see the scorecards and I see that rounds. Not a ten eight round? Wow. I mean that's even more blatant. That that's 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 even I mean that's even more criminal. Like they're not even hiding it. They're not even using gloves. At least if you're gonna rob somebody, you know, put gloves on. But if if it's not a ten eight round, then they're not even they're not even going to that point. So that shows their arrogance. Like we we could do whatever we want, it doesn't matter. So and I've seen it. I've seen it through the years. And like I you know, like I say, you know, I, I've seen worse, but this was bad. This was bad. And I'm trying to put all, I'm trying to put all, I'm trying to be fair, as I always try to be, and really color the whole thing in, where there was, Mastre was doing what he had to do, the shorter guy, the more aggressive guy, getting close. First six rounds or so, seven rounds, it was back and forth a little bit in spots, except the second round that was a 10-8 round where Fox, you know, was able to score the knockdown. But then a big change, I'd say around the eighth round. Around the eighth round or so, Mastre, who had never been passed four rounds, he slowed down. He slowed down 
quite a bit. And he wasn't getting forward anymore. And if he's not getting forward, then he's got an even bigger problem with a tall guy with a long jab and a long left hand. You know, he's got even a bigger problem. And in those rounds, from eight on to the, you know, later rounds, he his motor really slowed down. And I thought that Fox separated himself in those rounds to make it clear to make it clear, in case it wasn't clear because of what I described early, where there was some give and take and, you know, body work, to make it clear that he deserved to get that and there should be only one guy getting his hand raised and it should have been Fox. So I think that's the fair way of breaking it down for me, for my position, um, to, to give all elements of it the way I saw it. Uh, again, just... Uh, you know, it's to the point, like, I used to get upset over the years calling the fights for ESPN. Like, the worst thing that this sport has done to us with these corrupt and inept uh, officials and incompetent officials is that it, it makes you almost say, well, what do you expect? It's boxing. And that's terrible. That's dangerous. Because we should never get to that point where we're so numb. But we are to that point where we're so numb, where we say, ah, what do you expect? That's boxing. Yeah, yeah, it's terrible. You scream for a few minutes and then you you go back to business as usual and nothing happens. You know, that these judges, you know, how many fights I've seen that were so horrible, Ken, that were even worse than this. Uh, I know that's hard to wrap your mind around, but even worse because I, I've seen so much, so much. And, and then the judge is working next week. The, uh, nothing happens. Nothing happens. And that's the thing that I used to always get on. Have some accountability. You know, suspend these judges. Fire these judges. You know, sanction these judges. Take, take, their, take, their, take their job away until they show that they've earned it back. I've said it many times. You know, having a... It's, it's not... It, it's, it shouldn't be uh, an order. It's not an automatic thing that you get a license you have to earn a license it's a privilege you know it's it's not something that that is just given it's a privilege that you have a license and when you no longer show that you deserve that privilege you should lose it i mean you lose your driver's license when you show that you can't drive properly anymore it gets taken away from you you have too many accidents you know your your license gets taken away why? Because you don't deserve to have it anymore. Because the people in charge say, hey, you're dangerous. You could hurt somebody. Well, guess what? These judges shouldn't have their license because they're dangerous. They could and do hurt somebody. They hurt these fighters' careers. These fighters that take punches to get to that place and they earn the right, they finally get there to make money for their family because that's what the, part of why they're doing it. And that's a big part of why we do what we do. And they get there and now they have the chance and it gets taken away. And they have to go to the back of the line again and take all those punches again to get there again, if they ever get there. And in this case, maybe a rematch is going to be ordered because of how embarrassed the WBA is, right? To save face, to make it look like they care, which they don't, but make it look like they care. But here's the problem. He might not be what he was that night. He might be, 
but it, it might not all be. The stars might not line up perfectly the way they did physically, emotionally, mentally, in every way for him. So that's my take on it. It's terrible. Um, as I said, uh, the great Brian Kenny said, you know, he said it's the worst that he's seen. It's not the worst I've seen, uh, but it's it's bad enough. It's pretty damn bad. And, um, you know, the saddest thing is what I touched on earlier, that it gets to us to a place where we shrug our shoulders after a while and we just move on. But we're not shrugging our shoulders. We're, we're doing what you, to your credit, uh, you were the one who brought it up to me. I always give credit where credit's due. You're the one who brought it up and said we need to touch on this. And so we are touching on it. And hopefully we've done it justice uh, for this kid, Fox, uh, that that he deserves it to be done. Yeah, well, hopefully uh, Michael Fox gets a chance to get back to where he was. It was an awesome performance, and uh, hopefully we can do our part in seeing that he gets some form of justice here. It's really a travesty what they did, but hey, it is what it is. <laughs> Man, there's so much. We could, we could spend a day on this talking about everything that went wrong here. But um, with that being said, Spence has a torn retina, unfortunately. He's out. Ugas, last-minute replacement for Pacquiao coming up this weekend. Um, we have the awesome fight plan that we put together for Spence Pacquiao. I believe Rob is going to post it on Thursday anyway, just to give you guys an idea of what we were thinking about in anticipation of that fight. But given the last-minute replacement, Teddy, what are you looking for, for from this fight now with how much of an impact is this going to have on Pacquiao's preparation, and what do you give... Um, Ugas in, 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 with regards to his chances against Pacquiao with a last minute, uh, you know, last minute fight, last last minute to prepare for this type of fight. Well, first of all, the first thing that should be understood to the audience is Ugas is not a last minute replacement in a way that he's not prepared um, as far as conditioning and training for a fight because he was on the undercard. He's got he's got the belt. He's got the title. The funny thing, the interesting thing about this is that. He's got, it's the WBO, right? I just want to make sure that I'm correct. I believe so. Hang on, let me confirm. Yeah. He's got the WBO. Well, you look for that. I'll just go on. He's got the WBO title. Um, and he'll be defending that title now against Pacquiao. And like I said, he's not, he's not stepping in in a way where it's a last-minute replacement where he didn't have time to prepare. He's been in a full training camp because he was defending his title on the card. He was fighting on on the on the card of this show. So he's a guy who's ready. He's in shape. It's WBO, right, Ken? He he's ready. It says the uh, WBA. So you know he's got the belt. Here's the ironic part of it, because we try to bring everything to the fans. He's got the belt that was taken away from Pacquiao that Pacquiao earned in the ring. <laughs> He's got the belt that Pacquiao had in the ring. Now, the the reasoning, the excuse that the W, I, I guess it's WBA, yeah. right? definitely W. Yeah. The reasoning that the WBA used <laughs> to take that belt away from him was that he was inactive. Now, everybody was inactive with COVID and everything else going on, but that Pacquiao was inactive, so they, 
they took the belt away and they gave the interim belt. Uh, they let Ugas fight for the interim belt, and Ugas won the interim belt. Um, here's, of course, what they forget to tell you was that they didn't use they didn't use the same sort of uh, standard for for Keith Thurman. Keith Thurman, earlier, years earlier, he had been inactive two, two and a half years. And they didn't strip him and give an interim title, but yet they stripped Pacquiao and they they allowed Ugas, of course, to wind up getting this interim title. But why didn't they strip why did they strip Pacquiao and not strip Thurman? Because Thurman was more in line with being buddies with them, you know, being friendly with them. You know, Pacquiao's the kind of guy that, you know, he's not always friendly with everyone uh, in that way. He's, he's a great guy. He helps the Filipino people. He's one of the greatest humanitarians you're ever going to meet. Uh, he gives most of his money away to the, the great people. Filipino people, he helps those people. He's a congressman over there. He helps them that way too. I mean, this is a special man. This is a selfless man that does things that very few people do. Besides what he does in the ring, I'm talking about what he does outside the ring. But, you know, he doesn't always care about, you know, uh, an organization getting their uh, blood sucking uh, fees and sanctioning fees that they get, that they get them, you know. He doesn't care so much about belts. And they, you know, so they want to make sure that they have a guy who's representing them that's going to continue to represent them, that they can continue to get their sanctioning fees. So you have to think for a minute. It has to be part of the analysis here into this fight. That if this fight is competitive or not, because they don't even care. They're so arrogant. They'll rob somebody, as we just talked about with the Fox fight. Even if it's not real competitive, they'll still rob you. But let's just say, let's give them a little bit of credit and say they're not quite that, you know, bold. But they are. But if the fight is close, you'll wonder if Uka's is going to be favored. A lot of people say, oh, no, not over Pacquiao because, first of all, Pacquiao, follow the money. Pacquiao can make more money than Ugas. When Pacquiao fights, they get a bigger sanction of fee because Pacquiao will be demanding more money. Yes, true. But you're not going to get, but, you know, zero from zero, last I checked, still amounted to zero. So <laughs> you're not going to get a bigger sanction of fee from Pacquiao if he's if he leaves you and he goes and fights Spence because that's going to be the next. If Pacquiao wins this fight, that's what's going to be next. He's going to go and he's going to, you know, God willing, Spence heals up with his detached retina and he's ready to go. He's going to follow that and he's going to go and wind up making that fight most likely. And if that happens, Pacquiao could care less about their belt. He's going to go fight for Spence's belt. Ah, so in that way, you have to be aware that the, that the WBA or WBO, but it is the WBA, right, Ken? It's the, yeah, yeah and, and for the record, it was the super WBA welterweight title. They got so many friggin' belts, the, the regular, the super, yeah, yeah. they're calling the belt the no, super I belt. No, I get it. I get it. 
They got it the regular, the unregular, irregular, the the silver, the bronze, the the the, this, the pearl, the, the pearl, the, uh, the the tin paper, the aluminum foil. Oh God! I mean, there's just uh, there's so many. The so they oh it's uh, it's unbelievable. So they don't be surprised then if it's a close fight if they. If they say, wait a minute, we're going to favor Ugas, a guy who we know is going to stay with us, where Pacquiao is going to be leaving us, and we're going to we're not going to we're not going to get any sanctioning fees from him. So let's keep our let's keep our champion that we do have control over. So that's something that could be an X factor that that has to be thought about a little bit. Uh, especially by you, my bookie people out there that that are part of the great my bookie, and that you that you do uh, you do some gambling with my bookie, because that is something that has to be thought about. I'm I'm sure my man Bill Krakenberger, the great handicap in Vegas. I'm sure he's thinking about that. Um, so, having said that, as far as the breakdown of the styles because styles make fights. Never forget that. Styles do make fights. Oh, this guy beat this guy, so he should beat. No, it don't work that way. Oh, this guy's big. He's, he's this, that, and you know he beat this guy, and this guy lost to this guy, so he should beat. No, styles make fights. Ugas is a completely different style from Spence. Spence is an aggressive, big, welterweight who uses a great southpaw jab. And he comes forward. He also boxes, but he comes forward a lot. And he goes to the body real good. Ugas goes to the body pretty damn good. But not as consistently as Spence. And Ugas is not a southpaw. So Manny's been training for a southpaw. So there is a there is some adjustment there that he's got to now be ready for an orthodox fighter. But that shouldn't be hard for Manny. Because Manny is a southpaw and he usually fights orthodox fighters. He's fought a million of them. So, so that shouldn't be a big adjustment uh, for him. Uh, and as I said, Ugas is ready. He's in shape because he was on the undercard getting ready. So it's not like he's being thrown in there on, on a moment's notice with no conditioning. They're different styles where Spence is a busy guy and an aggressive guy for the most part. Ugas is a counterpuncher. He's a counterpuncher. He's not a busy guy. I thought he technically won the Porter fight, but he got out-hustled. He got out-worked a little bit. I still thought he won. He landed the cleaner punches, but he didn't get credit for them because he wasn't busy enough. He allowed the opening to get robbed, to get out-hustled, to, to, to be out-worked. And Porter, to his credit with his jab, did that, uh, at least in a way that the judges thought he did. So, Ugas is the kind of guy you can out-hustle, you can outwork him. Where you have to be careful is walking straight in or getting caught coming in because he's a decent counter-puncher. And like I said, he's a pretty good body puncher. But he's not a guy who's going to put up big punch numbers. He's not a guy that's going to tear it up in that way, who's going to pressure who's going to be always on you. Um, I think it's an easier fight for Pacquiao. Hopefully mentally he doesn't, you know, guy his experience shouldn't, but mentally he doesn't have a little 
downer, if you will, going from Spence to Ugas. Ugas is a good, solid fighter. He's a bronze medalist from that great Cuban Olympic team. He's a bronze medalist. Um, but even saying that, most when you're on that Cuban Olympic team, that great national Cuban Olympic team, if you're not a gold medalist, in their eyes, you, you, <laughs> you didn't win. You lost. I know bronze medal is a great accomplishment, and it is. But if you come from that Cuban team, it's not. It's gold or nothing. So he's not. He didn't win the gold. But he's a real good, solid fighter. He's a guy that, as I said, he's going to look for you to make mistakes. He's going to look to take advantage of your aggression. He's going to look to time Manny coming in. Uh, he's going to look for moments to go to the body if Manny stands in front or maybe catch Manny with lead right hands, right hands of southpaw killers. Uh, as Mayweather proved against Pacquiao, that you can use that lead right hand if you know how to use it the right way. Uh, if Manny stands in front of him, he'll look to use the right hand uh, lead. If Manny comes in a little reckless, he'll look to counter him. Uh, his hands are, are not... Real fast, Ugas's hands. They're not slow, but they're not real fast. Manny's hands are real fast. We understand that some of the fastest hands, maybe in the history of the sport. I mean, that's how fast his hands are. Um, I like, again, it's an easier fight, I think, on paper for Manny. And listen, Teddy Atlas ain't telling you nothing when he tells you. When you're going from Spence to anybody else, it's going to be an easier fight for the most part. So I'm not telling you any secrets there. But it is an easier fight, should be, from a technical standpoint, on paper. But you never know because you're not fighting paper. There's human beings getting in there. You're talking about emotions. You're talking about the mental state. You're talking about all of that. And I don't know if there's a little letdown for Manny, as I said. But at the end of the day, my pick is going to be Manny by what should be a unanimous decision that's going to turn into a split decision because there's some chicanery by the DW. Because chicanery with one of these? Are you kidding, Teddy? Oh, no. Come on. Really? Chicanery when real? Oh, are you serious? Yes, I'm serious. There, there could be some monkey. Too bad the WBA wasted their shot on uh, the Maestre fight. They had a chance to like rob the great Manny oh, Pacquiao. Still... Now everyone's going to be watching oh. them, so they're probably like, oh, damn, everyone's watching this time. we got to be careful. Yeah, you know what? I have an old saying that was given to me by um, by the great Customato, my guy, my mentor. People born round don't die square. <laughs> so don't worry. There's the these guys are crooks. They still think like crooks. They still behave crooks. They still behave like crooks. They still act like crooks. If they can, if they can, you bring up a good point. But if they can, they still behave that way. They can't help it. That's what they are. And um, but we'll see. I'm gonna say Manny by unanimous decision. But if there's some some bad play there by the WBA something of foul, then I'm going to say it turns into a split decision. Then it turns into a split. They're, they're like magicians. You know, like like instead of pulling a rabbit out of the hat, <laughs> they, they, they pull, they pull a, a, a crooked decision out of the hat. You know, they're, but they're magicians. <laughs> they're magicians. They go press right in front of you. 
Here we got, watch this trick. I have a unanimous decision in my hands. And I will say Avocadabra Presto and make it into a split decision. <laughs> that is my magic trick for tonight. So that you got to be careful. They're very good at that magic. And um, that's my that's my feeling about the fight that Manny, for me, Manny, here's the one thing I got to throw in there as a qualifier. The one thing I got to throw in there. I think Manny should be too fast, too busy, too smart, too good, and he'll win a unanimous decision. He'll out-hustle, he'll out-work uh, a real solid fighter in Ugas. Except, you ready? Except, unless Manny becomes old on that night. And I was talking to the great Jerry Eisenberg, a, a friend of mine, and uh, for many, many, many years, he's a great writer, he's 90 years old, writes for the Newark Star-Ledger, and for many outlets around the country, he's written many books, he's got a notebook, he just wrote another book at 90 years of age, he's a special, special man, and like he said to me, he called me up to see who I liked, see what I thought about Ugas, he called me up today, actually, before we got on the air, to give my rundown on, on Ugas, and... Like he said to me, Teddy, you won't know until they get in the ring because fighters, they get old in the ring. And he's right. They get old that night in the ring right in front of you. Right in front of you. you they, they look good in camp sometimes and then all of a sudden they get in the ring and, and they get old. And that's the one if factor. Unless Manny gets old, which is always positive. He's 42 years old. I know he's been special. I know he is special. But sooner or later, he's going to get old. Sooner or later, Father Time's going to put his hands on him. He's been elusive. He's been very elusive. Father Time can't find him. <laughs> he's, he's chasing him all over the damn ring, and he can't find him. He's falling into the ropes. He's falling this way. For, but sooner or later, if he stays around long enough, Father Time will do what he's done to everybody. He'll put his hands on him. So will it be... Will it be Saturday night? Uh, we're going to have to wait and see. But that aside, that aside, Maddie not getting old suddenly like that, I'm picking Maddie um, just being a busier guy and being Manny Pacquiao and winning the fight. Well, if you'd like to uh, if you'd like to vote with your dollars, you can check out my bookie. Go to mybookie.ag. Use the promo code ATLAS, A-T-L-A-S, for a 100% credit on your first deposit, up to $1,000. Um, sorry, 50% credit, up to $1,000. The line right now is minus 355 on Pacquiao, uh, plus 285 on Ugas, to your point. At some point, man, he's gonna get old. I just don't know that plus two eighty five is enough to vote on, uh, or, or to vote with your dollars on Ugas. Not know? for me, it's not for me to go against the great Manny Pacquiao, and you're getting back two eighty, two eighty five, whatever it is. It's not enough for me. Not not for me. I tend but, to um, agree with you. Well, with that said, Brandon Craven, my barber at Westside uh, Barber in Santa Monica. Get the shears sharpened up. We're sending the jet for you. I need a haircut. Teddy said it. It's official. Teddy, thanks for yeah. being with us today. Listen, let me throw one other thing. Can I? Yes. Before we close shop here. 
Um, talking about newspaper writers, we've talked about a, a little bit. I, Like I said, Jerry Eisenberg had given me a call before we went on the air. I also got a call from, there's not too many real writers left in this country that cover boxing. I mean, you got the internet stuff. Some of them are good, some of them aren't. Um, you know, uh, some of them just howl for their meals. You know, whoever's paying their, their bill, you know, uh, the promoters, whatever, they write favorable people. But there's some, there are some websites that are real, that are that are genuine, that are authentic and uh, have credibility. But the one thing that there's really not anymore, there's no writers out there that write for newspapers. I mean, they just, they've, they've gone the way of the dinosaur. Like, they barely, they don't really exist anymore. But there's one that is a good writer, Josh Peter over at USA Today. They don't do a lot of stuff on boxing, really. But they do, uh, you know, if it's a big enough fight, if it's an event, they do some. So Josh Peter from USA Today, he called me uh, earlier this morning, too. And he, had, he asked me if I had seen a fight. And I thought we were talking about these fights. And I said, which fight? And I had no idea. Um, Muhammad Ali's nephew, uh, I believe it was his nephew, Muhammad Ali's nephew fought his pro debut, I guess, in the last few days. And he, he scored a one-round knockout. And he wanted to know what I thought of him. So... Of course, I told him I didn't even know he fought. I didn't see it. So he's he's sending me the video. It's short. It's one round. I'll look at it. I'll get back to him to let him know what I... Obviously, the name is what attracts everybody. We understand that. Um, the lineage, you know, does he have anything like, the, you know, like his uncle? But I'll get back to him uh, today when I look at the footage of it. But... I just wanted to bring it up that Ali's nephew fought and that I will report on it next week. After I look at it, as I said, I'll get back to Josh Peter of USA Today, let him know what I thought, but then I'll let you know. Ken, Rob, and all our great fans, for the ones that are interested just in the uh, the name of, the great name of Muhammad Ali, if his nephew can... If his nephew could carry it on in a ring, uh, to any kind of level, so I, I'll I'll report back to you guys uh, like a dutiful soldier. I'll report back. I'll look at it, tell you what my breakdown of it is. Obviously, as Josh Peter, who's a good writer, so he's he understands the deal. Obviously, the opponent was not of any ilk, uh, not of any you know level. Uh, but no different than than most of these opponents when you're building a guy up early on. You're usually not fighting anybody of any level until you get, you know, past the first half dozen or more fights. So um, that's usually the, it's just usually the journey. It's usually the way they do it. So anyway, uh, you know what? I'm just thinking because when you're fighting these early fights, you're, you're, you're fighting real, you know, the, the, the hand chosen. As the old times would say, you're bringing your own music, you know? And so you never know. I'm just wondering, it makes me think for a second as I'm saying it now, maybe that's why you haven't heard from your barber. <laughs> I wonder if he took, I wonder, 
I wonder. You've been tipping him. <laughs> have you been taking care? Of, have you you've been taking care of him appropriately? Ken? I always ask the I always ask the barber, "What's the best tip you got this week?" And try to be in that context because I never want to wait for an appointment. Well, I I I hope so because I'd hate to find out that he was the <laughs> debut opponent for Muhammad Ali's nephew, and that's why that's why you can't find him. He's a pretty tough guy. He might be he might be up for the challenge. I'm sure he would. Hey, listen, he, he's got to deal with you. I'm sure he is. <laughs> Mentally tough. I'm sure he is. Oh, thanks, Teddy. Well, listen, it was great talking to you as always. Thanks for all the uh, comprehensive breakdowns. Appreciate it. Thanks to all the fans for tuning in. Please subscribe, like the video, share, comment. You know the drill. Thanks for being with us, and we'll be back next week with a breakdown of Muhammad Ali's grandson and the Pacquiao Ugas fight. Thanks for everyone for being with us. See you next week.